Got it. Do I have it? Nope. <laughs> it's a snow. Might need a little help, Carol. It's not uh, staying on. Here. Hey, welcome to RUF, friends. Oh, there we go. Okay, there we go. Yep, oh, yep. there we go. Sweet, thanks. Uh, hey, welcome to RUF. If I have not had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Sammy. I'm the campus minister here. Um, tonight, we're doing a bit of a one-off since we're off next week. This semester, we're going to be spending our time in the Gospel of Mark. But tonight, since uh, we have some new folks with us, uh, maybe you're, you've been around area for a second, or maybe this is your very first time for some of you, and I just want to talk tonight about what is this thing called RUF? Uh, what are we about? What do we care about? What is the heartbeat of what we do? And to do that, we're going to be looking at Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. And I'm going to read that for us, then pray, and then dive into just two things that I want you to take with you. Um, just about what is this place that you are? What is this ministry that you're visiting tonight? So first, Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. <clears throat> he, Jesus, also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me pray for us, and I want to talk about from this passage, uh, what is RUF? Let me pray for us first, though. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this parable. Uh, Lord, it is a challenging parable. It is a humbling parable. Lord, it is not something in our own strength that we can do. Lord, you know that part of our fallen nature, part of our sinfulness is that we are always trying to justify ourselves. That we are always trying to find some reason not just for you to love us, but for uh, some reason that we are better than others. And yet, Lord, I pray tonight by your spirit that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear uh, the beautiful gospel. Uh, the good news of your life and death and resurrection for us. Lord, I pray that you would move us from trusting in ourselves to trusting in you. That you would move us from looking to anything other than you. For our righteousness. Lord, we need your help. We ask for your grace. We pray these things for Christ in your name. Amen. So, about six years ago, my stepdad had a massive heart attack. Uh, so, I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina, where my mom and my stepdad still live. But it was such a massive heart attack, he had to be airlifted to the heart hospital in Columbia. Thankfully, they were able to attend to him. They had to put stents in his heart. But I, I learned a fair amount about heart attacks. Um, 
A heart attack is the heart's way of letting you know that it's not getting the nourishment, the oxygen-rich blood that it needs. And I think about that because when I think about our ministry, when I think about our UF, what is it? I think about that if we don't get the nourishment and the life-giving blood, oxygen, so to speak, uh, on these two areas, then we will die and should. And here's what they are. If I think about what is our EF, what is our vision, what is our mission, it's two things. First, we want to have a heart for the gospel. And then second, we want to have a heart for our campus, a heart for the gospel and our heart for our campus. That's what gives us life. That's where the Lord uh, leads us into. So first, think with me about the heart for the gospel. The best way for me to talk about the gospel is to think about it like this. It's the difference between what we call what is good news versus what we're going to call good advice. So at the word level, the gospel literally just means that. It means good news, which is interesting because it means it's an announcement, something that has happened, not that we've done, but something that has happened outside of us that is about us, but something that we simply receive. You can think about it like this. If I said this, I've got some really good news for you. It could be this. That dream grad school that you thought was a long shot, you're in. It's good news. Uh, We've seen that this applies to me as I drive my... 2004 Honda Accord, 280,000 miles on it. We've seen how much wear and tear there is on your car, and we got you a new one. Here you go. Uh, You know that guy or girl that you've been crushing on for about a year? They're into you. It's time. They want to go out. Good good news. That's good news. (laughs) It's good news. Uh, Good news is something that we receive, that we marvel in that we celebrate, that we enjoy. And here's the rub. Most of us, not all of us perhaps, but a lot of us did not grow up. If we grew up in Christianity, we did not grow up in a Christianity that focused on the good news. A lot of us grew up in a Christianity that focused on the good advice, that told us what to do, how to be. Here are the 10 steps for you to conquer. Here are the 10 steps for you to practically do. That's more what we grew up in. Tim Keller, I can't illustrate it better than he does. Listen to how he he illustrates it. He's thinking about war. (laughs) Just hang with me because that's intense. He says, it's in your handout if you want to follow along. He says, let's say there is an invading army coming toward a town. What that town needs is military advisors. It needs advice. Someone should explain that the trenches should go over there. The marksmen go up there. The tanks must go down there. That's advice. And he keeps going. However... If a great king has intercepted and defeated the invading army, what does the town need then? It doesn't need military advisors. It needs messengers. And the Greek word for messengers is angelos, angels. The messengers do not say, here is what you do. They say, rather, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. In other words, stop fleeing, stop building fortifications, stop trying to save yourselves. The king has saved you. Something has been done and it changes everything. That is good news. Advice is counsel about what you must do, but news is a report about what has already been done. Advice urges you to make something happen, but news urges you to recognize something that has already happened and to respond to it. Advice says it's all up to you to act, but news says someone else has acted, and this is the key difference between the Pharisee and the tax collector. Do you see it? The Pharisee is like a standing resume of all that he's been doing to justify himself. But the tax collector 
is just hoping in the good news. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In other words, he's saying what Paul says in Romans 7. I do what I don't want to do and I cannot do what I want to do. Who will save me from this body of death? Praise be to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the the tax collector is living. And that's where the gospel, if we're going to have a heart for the gospel, that's where we'll live. That, of course, there are things to do in the Christian life, but it always flows out of the gospel being ministered to your heart and to my heart. Let me do it two ways. Two examples of this. We go a lot of directions. They're a little bit awkward. You're gonna, if you stay around REF very long, you'll learn that awkwardness is just kind of a personality trait for me. So just hang in there with me. But we're going to go to some uncomfortable places. So let's think about two examples of the difference between advice and good news. Okay? Here's the first. Let's just get into it. Let's think about lust. Here's what good advice says. You need to get Kevin and eyes. You need to disable the browser on your phone. Delete his or her number. Get an accountability partner or group. Maybe stop going out to five points. Get off Tinder or Grindr or whatever you're chosen. Delete Instagram. Break up, etc. That's the good advice. But that doesn't reach your heart. Because what's the good news when it comes to We're picking just lust for now. Did you know, here's the good news. Did you know that your lust is no match for the love of Jesus? Do you know that his love for you doesn't fluctuate based on whether you've had a good day or a bad day? Do you know that Jesus took your shame to the cross? And it's nailed there in the words of Paul. Though he never once lusted even in his heart, he died on the cross as if he were lustful, that those of us who live in lust can stand before God this very moment as if we had never lusted at all. And the good news of sanctification is that he will love us out of our sin, that he will love us out of our struggle, no matter how long it takes, just you wait and see. I think about, so I did a conference years ago in Lexington, Kentucky, um, depression. <laughs> so it was a good time. But one of the gifts was fitting. One of the gifts that was given to me for doing the conference was to meet with a really, really experienced counselor from RTS Orlando. Her name was Lottie. She passed a couple years ago. And it was one session. And it was like I saw the Michael Jordan of counselors. I mean, she just took my story truly. I have never seen someone dribble. <laughs> you don't dribble in counseling, but I've never seen someone just <laughs> so skilled at putting my story, all the parts of it together. And we were talking about this one particular part of my struggle and my story. And I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, Sammy, the next time you feel tempted, the next time you are struggling, here's what I want you to do. In the middle of that struggle, I want you to start to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. And you just see what she's trying to do? Minister the gospel to my heart. That in the midst of your struggle and my struggle, the Lord loves you and he loves me and he will love us beyond it, regardless of our failure. But let's take another one. This one's a little bit less awkward than lust, but also awkward. Let's think about evangelism. Here's what good advice says. Good advice says, here's an incredibly helpful chart or booklet or book or strategy. You should join this club to make people projects. You should become an RA. You should repent of your introversion. Good luck as an introvert. You should invite friends to RUF, to church, etc. 
But what about the good news? Here's the good news. Did you know that if you could become a Christian, that Jesus has the power to make literally every single person you've ever met become a Christian? In fact, his greatest joy is meeting people in their darkness, brokenness, and shining his light, healing it, literally raising them from the dead. And he's invited you and me, if you belong to him in ways big and small, through your personality, however awkward you might feel, through your gifts, however different you might, they might hit, that he's asking you and inviting you to join him in his work because he is already at work drawing people to him. I love this story out of Francis Schaeffer's life. Francis Schaeffer, if you know who that is, he's one of the, I think, founding professors of Covenant Seminary if you grew up in the, in the PCA. Uh, he was a very, wrote a lot of books, was an incredible apologist, just uh, formed these little communities where people found fellowship and service, Christians and non-Christians called Labrie. And there's a story a friend of his tells of going, I think they were at Labrie in Paris, and Francis Schaeffer and his friend were walking in Paris toward a cafe, and they ran across a prostitute. And he said he just watched Schaefer kind of do his thing. And here's what Schaefer did. He, he went up to the prostitute and he said, how much? And she said, well, uh, you've caught me on a good day. It's a Thursday, $50. And he said, not enough. She said, confused. She said, oh, okay, well, I can see that you're an American. So let's call it 75. And he said, not enough. And she, as you can imagine, her confusion was like, okay, well, I guess you're an American and it's close to the weekend. Let's call it 100. And he said, not enough. And she said, sir, how much do you think I'm worth? And he got to share the gospel with her. Let me tell you how much you're worth. You are worth an infinite amount to your Savior. So much that he came to live the life you can never live, to die the death you deserve to die and I deserve to die, rose again to be your savior and your advocate before the throne. Let me tell you how much you're worth. It's a heart for the gospel, not what you must do to make yourself right with God, but what Jesus has done to make you right with God. So first, if we're going to, be any sort of a ministry on this campus. We have to have, by God's grace, a heart for the gospel. But then second, we have to have a heart for the campus. Now here, I've I've done this going on year 18. And here are the two approaches that I typically see you guys, and, and really all of us, but especially at the college campus, two different approaches that you might be tempted to take. The first one we're gonna call to overly avoid. And here's what I mean. Maybe it's been ingrained in you, sometimes by church leaders, maybe by overbearing parents, that you don't thrive in college, but you survive college. And the best way to deal with temptation is to avoid it. So you avoid those people. You avoid those situations. You do your quiet time every day, and you pray that Jesus will protect you from meeting new people. You you think about campus life mainly as a temptation to avoid, so you might withdraw and pray that Jesus will place you securely inside a Christian bubble that you'll never have to deal with or or never have to interact with these mean atheist professors and scary non-Christians. And this is the Pharisee. The Pharisee literally prays, I thank you that I am not like other men. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. But he's not wrestling with his own heart. Because if he was wrestling with his own heart, he would know that Robert Murray McShane, that old Scottish pastor, said this, in my heart 
is the seed of every sin. Maybe I've not done that, but the seed of that is in my heart if I know it at all. So that's one approach, but the other is to overly adapt. Uh, Maybe you're like me and you learn pretty quickly that even though it was kind of cool to be a Christian in your high school, it's not here. (laughs) I can promise. You realize that if you're ever going to be in, you're going to have to adapt and change. Uh, Maybe make some changes that Jesus isn't cool with. And so maybe you study, you sit in the shadows, sort of watch what the cool people do, what they drink, what they smoke. Uh, how they're talking, what they're wearing, where they're going. And maybe somewhere in your freshman year you wake up and it's hard to say out loud, but it doesn't feel like I'm a disciple of Jesus. It feels like instead I'm a disciple of cool. And this in some ways is the tax collector before he repents. is He is driven by selfish pleasure, using others for his own gain, in bed with the culture. And I hope you're seeing that neither approach is approved or commended by Jesus. The Pharisee needs to repent of his lack of love for others. And the tax collector needs to repent of his love of the world and the things of the world, his love of himself. But we could say like this, the the approach, the heart for the campus that Jesus commends is this, to be in the world, but not of it. And we could say like this, because you are so loved by Jesus as you belong to him, Put your faith in him. Now you get to go love like Jesus. Who was frequently called a drunkard. And a glutton. Because he kept company. He kept holiness. And he kept company with those who knew their need for salvation. I think about, I love the story of Johnny Cash's life. Johnny Cash, if you know the story, it's 1968. He's gotten pretty hot in the country music Good old, you know, old, when country music was good, basically. No shade. If you have shade with that, let's talk. But, uh, but his, maybe you know this, his, his fan base for a while was like gospel based. Like he had a lot of church people, Christians who were his fans. And Cash in 1968 decided he wanted to do a show at Folsom, Folsom County Prison. And he wanted to put on, literally put on a show for the prisoners there. And there's this moment, the story goes, there's this moment between him and his manager where his manager's like, this is crazy. Like, you realize if you do this, you are going to lose your Christian fan base. You're going to lose your church-going people. They don't want to see you, and that's what he said, they don't want to see you singing to a bunch of rapists and thieves and murderers. And the story goes that Cash just listened for a second, and then he said, well, they ain't Christians then. They ain't Christians then. We're called to love like Jesus as we're loved by Jesus. We're called to follow him into the work that he's doing on our campus. And I'll close with this. There's a, there's a song that I think about a lot. I listen to a fair amount. It's by Beyonce's sister, Solange. And it's called Cranes in the Sky. And here's how it goes. Because here's the heart of Jesus for you and for me. Because we're never going to keep a heart for the gospel. And we're never going to keep a heart for our campus if we are not dialed in to the heart of Jesus. That as we read in our call to worship, the heart of Jesus that is gentle and lowly of heart towards sinners like you and me. The heart of Jesus that pursues you and me in the darkest places, in the places that we're ashamed of, in the places that are hard to talk about. The heart of Jesus that pursues you and me in our secret sin. 
The heart of Jesus that sees us in the peak of our pride when we're acting more like that Pharisee trying to find some reason I'm better than you and you're better than me. The heart of Jesus that continues to pursue patiently, steadfastly, eternally. And here's what she says. Solange, cranes in the sky. She said, it's on your handout if you want to follow. She said, I tried to drink it away. I tried to put one in the air. I tried to dance it away. I tried to change it with my hair. I ran my credit card bill up, thought a new dress would make it better. I tried to work it away, but that just made me even sadder. I tried to keep myself busy. I ran around, I ran around in circles, think I made myself dizzy. I slept it away. I sexed it away. I read it away. I tried to run it away. Thought then my head be feeling clearer. I traveled 70 states, thought moving around make me feel better. I tried to let go of my lover. Thought if I was alone, then maybe I could recover to write it away or cry it away. But it's like cranes in the sky. Sometimes I don't want to feel those metal clouds. Yeah, it's like cranes in the sky. Sometimes I don't want to feel those metal clouds. And here's my question. What is the it that she's talking about? I think it's this. The it, that if you're honest with yourself, is the suffocating reality that something's not right with me. The it is that somehow I don't feel like I belong. The it is that something's wrong with me. Something's broken in me. Something's broken in us. Something's broken in this world. And the good news for you and for me and for every single person we've ever met or are going to meet on this campus is the gospel is, the good news is that Jesus came to take it away. And that even now, he's doing that. Even now, he is drawing He is drawing someone from it into his love. He is bringing someone from death to life. He is bringing those who feel lost and lonely home. And he is doing that work even in us. He is doing that work of wooing us to himself, of bringing us further and further into his love And this is the question for you. Has he done that in your life? And in whose life does he want you to be a part of it? Let's pray together. Our Lord, I pray for myself. I pray for my friends. I pray for RUF. That you would, as we fix our eyes on your heart, that you would continue to grow us in our understanding and rejoicing in the gospel. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to lead us in your patience and your kindness and your mercy to the friends and family and roommates and classmates that need this good news. Lord, would you never let us get to a place where we don't think we need this good news. We thank you for it. We thank you for your grace that makes sinners alive. And yet, Lord, would you continue to lead us in that love? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Stand and sing our last song.